Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. And I remember, five, ten years later, it never got past the foundation. And when I was old enough to understand that, that was a sad thing because there was potential. But the church never, ever, I don't remember if it ever even got built, but for sure, five, six, seven years, every year went back, same foundation, nothing. See, if you see a foundation and nothing's happening, something's wrong. So the writer just says this, hey, nice to have a foundation, gotta have it. How about building on it? A lot of people think that just going to church once in a while is good enough to get them in good with God. Not every week, okay. They're not fanatics, you know, but a couple times a month should do it. What those people don't understand, and Pastor Mark's teaching today will explain, is that from God's perspective, coming to church services without any more commitment won't even show up on the godliness scale. You'll find out today what God's offering you and how to receive his blessings. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in Hebrews chapter 5 as he continues his message, The Cure for Spiritual Immaturity. Go and make disciples, baptize in the name of the, say it with me, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So do we baptize in Jesus' name only? No, we do not. Because we believe there's a trinity. It's very different. That one I'll argue with for quite a while. So water baptism was taught by Christ, practiced by Christ, and commanded by Christ. Think of that word, commanded. We find it practiced in the book of Acts. We find in teaching on baptism by Paul in the epistles. And water baptism, what is it? It's a public showing. It's a public outward testimony that gives evidence that something has already changed in our inward being. A believer has already had a heart change. The repentance and the faith have already taken place. And when that takes place, the next step, we believe, is simply to be baptized. Water baptism is like a wedding ring. It's an outward symbol of a commitment you've already made in your heart. So, here's a wedding ring that I have. This is a commitment that I made to my wife some 40 years ago. I made it in my heart. She didn't break me She didn't get me down on my knees, sit on my back, and say, give me the ring. I made it from my heart. It was a good thing. It came from me. It was genuine. It meant something. Why do I wear it? It's an outward what? A sign for you girls, ladies, to stay away from me. 
And for me to stay what? Away from you. Now, as friends, that's fine, but I'm not going to drive you to lunch. That's not going to happen. I mean, there may be two murders in Brevard County. No, this is an outward sign of what? Something's happened in my heart. So why do we do water baptism? Does it save me? No. See, my heart was already gone to my wife. Water baptism, my heart's already gone to God. It's just this outward wonderful sign. Remember, Philip was called to the desert. He went out there and the eunuch was there. He got up and said, man, I'm reading from Isaiah. I don't understand what this is all about. He told him, told him about the Christ, whatever. Led him to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the eunuch said, hey, how about baptism? Philip said, let's go for it. Down they went in front of that whole caravan of people. He was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. His life had changed. You mean that quick? That quick. See, it's supernatural. So it's something that should be there. Now, why do we believe water baptism doesn't save? Well, there's many, many reasons, many verses. Here's one just to remind you. I'll read it to you. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption, salvation, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So we're not saved by water. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So salvation comes first, then water baptism. Here's something I think you need to write, and maybe it speaks to some of you. Water baptism is not a personal choice. Oh, Pastor Mark, I really don't like the ocean. And I know in the winter you do it in a pool. I'm not really into pools. Doesn't matter. It's not a personal choice. It's a command to be obeyed. And I'll just say this kindly to you. It isn't equal to salvation. But if you've never been water baptized, you're simply disobeying God. And why would you even want to do that? Now, let me just clarify, because we get lots of questions. Well, Pastor Mark, I was baptized as a baby. That's fine. It's okay. doesn't do anything for you. You need to be baptized after as an adult. Could be 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. You accepted the Lord. After that time, you were baptized. Well, Pastor Mark, I accepted the Lord at 9, and I was baptized at 12. I knew what I was doing. I was baptized. Fell away a little bit, came back to the Lord. Do we need to be baptized again? No, you don't need to. If you want to, fine. Don't need to be. Absolutely not. I was baptized as a baby. Two, six months, whatever. Never been baptized since. Accepted the Lord 20 years later. Should I be baptized? What's the answer? Absolutely. Because it's what? It's a public confession of what took place as an adult. Every time you backslide or fall away from the Lord, you don't come back and get water baptized again. That's something that you just do with the Lord in your heart. This is something that absolutely you need to obey God. Now, there's more than just water baptism. There's two kinds of spirit baptism. And I'm not going to go into a lot of depth, but they're foundational. You need to understand those. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Baptism by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. This is different than being baptized in the Spirit. Now, let me read 1 Corinthians 12. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit takes me and immerses me into the body of Christ. I become family. We come together. And then the Holy Spirit begins this process in me of changing me to become like Christ. And it's an inside job. He seals me. So I listen to this statement. 
When you become a believer and accept Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in. He takes me and puts me into the body of Christ. And of course, then I'm gifted in all these different ways that God will use me. When that happens, let me make this very clear to you and then I'll explain it later. I have all the Holy Spirit I can ever have. He comes in. He doesn't come in partially. He doesn't come in just a little bit. He comes into my life. And he seals me as a believer. Now, you say, well, I thought we believed in being filled with the Spirit. We do. Listen to my statement later. So, when that takes place, this baptism, remember, who put me in the body of Christ? The Holy Spirit put me into the body of Christ. The Spirit was the agent. Now, here's the next one. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit filled life. Notice Luke 3.16. John answered them and said, I baptize you with water. There's one we've already talked about. But one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He, Jesus, instead of the Spirit, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So this is a different baptism. This is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is a baptism of the power of the Spirit. Like Jesus Christ, all of us need to be baptized in the Spirit and then begin this Spirit-filled life. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So this is not an inward work, really. It's an outward work. It's the empowering of the person of the Holy Spirit and the person of Jesus to equip me to do exactly what Jesus did. The baptism is simply an entrance into the Spirit-filled life. Now, what does that mean? When all of this takes place, what did I say before that I have all the Holy Spirit I need when the Holy Spirit came into me? I do. But the baptism of the Spirit is the other. Now I have the opportunity to let the Spirit have all of me to be used by Him. Do you understand the difference? See, I yield or submit to the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in me, I have all the Holy Spirit I'm ever going to get. But does the Holy Spirit have all of me? And that's that submitting. That's the Ephesians 5.18 whole deal. That we to be filled with the Spirit, be controlled with the Spirit. Keep on being controlled with the Spirit. And if I am controlled and He has me, and that's a process always of being submitted to Him. We're not always filled with the Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit doesn't have control of me. Oh, He's in me, but I don't allow Him to have control of me. My old flesh nature kind of comes out front. It shows. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So there is this Spirit-filled life that we absolutely believe it's a wonderful, wonderful life. And by the way, when it comes, the boldness to share the gospel, to stand for Christ, to turn our world upside down, takes place. We need to be bold, not brash, but we need to be bold in the Spirit. Number four, laying on of hands. Now, before I go any farther, this is not like when you were, your dad took you to the back room with a little belt and said, <laughs> I know it's a foundational principle. No, this is not. This is a spiritual thing. Laying on of hands, which normally meant imparting a blessing or some kind of a spiritual commissioning, spiritual commissioning 
for specific acts of service. This laying on of hands was used in the Old Testament and the New Testament, very often a point of contact, transfer of God's anointing, dedication for future service, all kinds of things. Even we're told in the book of Mark to lay our hands on the sick and they will, there's lots of different layings on the hand. But these are more to do with this commissioning for service. Numbers, Old Testament, Numbers 27. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eliezer the priest in the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. So in the Old Testament, these Jewish believers would have understood what laying hands meant. This commissioning for service, this imparting of the spirit or the anointing. In Acts chapter 6, when we have the first seven deacons that are selected. Remember Acts 6, 6? They presented the men to the apostles who prayed and they laid their hands on them. That was that commissioning. It was, they were chosen. They were blessed to go out and serve. Paul, you remember in Acts 13, and Barnabas, they felt God ministering to them. They were in a church service. There was fasting and praying. And the Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. So what is the baptism's? In the laying of hands. What kind of doctrine are you talking about there? Well, that would be more related to, not salvation, but the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit would be in all of those areas. Okay? The doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have two more to go through. The last little pair. Foundational principles. Resurrection. You don't need to write all this down. Just all you need to write down is resurrection. But what is resurrection? End times, rapture, judgments, we'll have next, the millennium. All these kind of things that are coming. Why do we have this as a foundation? What in the world is the resurrection? Well, the resurrection is the whole, I mean, without the resurrection, no use us being here. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, if none of this is true, we might as well go home. We have no hope. We have great hope. Everyone has an appointment with death. You have an appointment with death. So do I. I don't know when it will come. Everyone will be resurrected. And the resurrection and judgment, they were both taught in the Old Testament. Daniel 12 to, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Everybody didn't really understand everything in the Old Testament, but both of these were definitely taught. They just didn't understand all of them. Now in the New Testament, Acts 24, verse 15, Paul says, I have hope in God which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust, which will get us in a few moments to our last one of judgment. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, the New King James, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So all of these people that have died, of course, they're already in heaven, but their bodies will join them. And at the rapture, all over the world, the dust of those bodies will just, this transforming miracle will come out. They're going first because many of them have six foot farther to go than we do. So they go first. They get a head start. They get a head start on us. And as they're getting to heaven, they're transformed. They're resurrected in a new body. As that's happening, guess who comes next? Anyone that's alive. 
at the rapture. We join them. Notice the scripture says, and those who, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Could I hear an amen? Maybe somewhere in there somehow. Okay. And here's the part I like. And this will last for 22 days. No. And forever. Say it with me. Forever will always be with the Lord. Hallelujah. We don't even know what hallelujah means about that, do we? But we will. And we're going to get those resurrected, those new bodies, that catching away of us. Now, how quick does this happen? Well, it takes a few weeks to get everybody out. God struggles a little bit with the dirt. Who is this? Okay, okay. No, what does the Bible say? How long does it happen? In the twinkling of what? Turn to your neighbor, just twinkle out there. Go ahead, just go ahead, do it right now. How fast is that? Now you tell me, is that natural or supernatural? That's supernatural. Is it a problem for our Lord? Not a problem. That's why people say, well, I'm I'm afraid of cremation, Pastor Mark. What are you afraid of? Well, I don't think God can put us back together. You've been dead a thousand years. You think there's any difference? You just dust in a hole somewhere. That's all it is. There's no difference. Earthquake, you're spread all over the place. (laughs) Praise God. Relax. It's going to be all right. In the twinkling of an eye. Hallelujah. Here's the last one. This brings a little soberness to it. Eternal judgment. Just as Hebrews says, just as man is destined to die once. And after that, to face the judgment. You see, the bodies of the saved and the unsaved will be resurrected, all of us, just, unjust, and then we'll stand at the eternal judgment. Every single person will be judged. Ephesians 2 says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what am I going to be judged? As a Christ follower, what am I going to be judged at? Well, I'm going to be judged according to my works. Notice, it's down at the last one. We talked about it this week. Contribute. See, Ephesians 2 says, When I became a Christ follower, God already had works for me to do. He talented me. He gifted me. He gives me money to tithe and give free will offerings. He gives me time to be involved. and doesn't matter what kind of area you're in. All of us have this time and passion, talents, and possession. And I'm going to stand before God. And I'm going to give an account for my effectiveness in all of that. Plus, even more so, I'm going to give an account for my, my motives. See, God's the one that knows the heart. So, at this judgment seat of Christ, good stuff's going to happen. When we get to heaven, after the rapture, we get the crowns, we get all the gifts, we get all the neat things that God gives us. We just take those crowns and put them at the feet of our Lord. Because He's worthy, we're not. And we just hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Remember, you're going to be judged for your gifts. That's not a negative thing. That's a very positive thing. That just keeps me tuned in right. It makes sure my motive is right. See, I can't judge your motive. I might, over time, kind of get a glimpse of what's happening. But I I want to be a humble. Remember, Moses was the most humble man. I want to be a humble person. I realize who I am without God, and I think you do too. So 
as I contribute all of that, remember, at the judgment, salvation isn't involved. That's already taken place. Heaven and hell are not at stake. That's finished. When I die, if I'm a Christ follower, I'm at this judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. If not, I'm at the great white throne judgment. Now, what will the people at the great white throne judgment? Well, let me just give you this verse just to remind you, 1 Corinthians 3. If anyone's work, this is speaking about the Christian, the Christ follower. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet as through fire. So see, it's not about your salvation. It's just if I do all things with the wrong motive. Or, or if I have this nice foundation, but I never grow spiritually. And I'm not really useful to God. I'll answer for that. That's why the writer is writing to these people. He's challenging them. You're not going to stand before me, he's saying. You're going to stand before God. Now, these two things, the great white throne judgment, what's going to happen? What are you going to stand for at the great white throne judgment? I'm going to be judged for my works. Well, can anybody earn salvation? No. And really, the first thing I'm going to be judged for as an unbeliever is what? That I rejected the only way to salvation, which is Jesus Christ. That's why you'll stand there. Everything else is just secondary. So, you know what? My works are already judged at the cross. Hallelujah. Could never be good enough. He did. He paid for it. So, what is this resurrection eternal judgment? What are these things? These are the doctrine, not of salvation, not of the Spirit, but these are the doctrine of end times. My family used to come to Florida. I had an uncle and aunt, cousins that lived in Clearwater. And we used to come down in, well, 52, 53, 54. I remember as a little kid, coming down, I was probably, I was about 10 years old in that day. And I'd come down and we'd drive through and we love Florida and we always have a heart. You know, it would take two and a half days to get here from Michigan. I have to drive I-25 or whatever. And man, it was forever. We'd stop at Walgreens and have 29 cent breakfast and Egg and two pieces of bacon, toast, whatever. I mean, man, we, we thought we were living high. Whew, it was great. We slept in those little teepee tents and whatever those crazy things were. You, some of you guys have no clue what that was like. They were roach heaven is really what they were like as you <laughs> stayed there. But I remember getting to Clearwater. And I remember driving by over a number of years. And I saw this kind of a deal. There was a church that was building. And I remember five, ten years later... It never got past the foundation. And when I was old enough to understand that, that was a sad thing. Because there was potential. But the church never, ever, I don't remember if it ever even got built. But for sure, five, six, seven years, every year went back, same foundation, nothing. See, if you see a foundation and nothing's happening, something's wrong. So the writer just says this, hey, nice to have a foundation. Got to have it. How about building on it? And that's what the Spirit says to you. And that's what the Spirit says to me. Make sure your foundation is firm. You need it. But let's move on. Today, Pastor Mark taught about baptisms and resurrections. He found out how Scripture describes baptism and how it's to be done. You learned how to separate the important aspects of baptism from the non-essential ones. Pastor Mark also spoke about the resurrections that will happen and who they will happen to. You learned about the two judgments and who gets which one. 
There's so much to learn from Pastor Mark's current series, so be sure to join us again. In the meantime, we'd like to offer you a CD copy of today's message for your own archives or for you to share with friends and family. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on Order a Message at the top of the page. There you'll be asked for the mailing information and be sure to include today's date. Each CD costs $5 to cover materials and shipping. Again, to order your CD copy, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com. This finishes the first part of Pastor Mark's teaching, The Cure for Spiritual Immaturity. Next time, he's going to begin the second part of this teaching, where he'll dive into more of the fundamentals of the Christian faith that the Apostle Paul laid out for the readers in the book of Hebrews. You'll hear more about having the power of God in your life working through you. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God bless you. And together, let's do life right. in a hurry.